on finding and targeting their ideal customers at scale. I'm your host, Monique Ruiz. Back in November, we did an episode all about the 2020 census because we were being bombarded with questions from our clients about the data. But unfortunately, at the time, there was limited information to report back. We're now in July of 2022, and we've got a lot more to share. So I brought back my guest from the previous episode, Eliza Albert, and I've added a new guest, Rachel Cortez. They're going to give us some updates on what's been released by the census, some of the controversies that have recently been uncovered, and what data providers like Claritas plan to do knowing this information. And I'm going to ask them some questions you all have asked us, like, is the census really the gold standard for demographic data? So since we've got some juicy questions to get into over the next 20 minutes, I'll go ahead and bring both Eliza Albert, Senior Product Strategy Manager at Claritas, and Rachel Cortez, Senior Demographer at Claritas, on to give the people their answers. Eliza, welcome to the Marketing Insider. Thanks, Monique. And Rachel, welcome to you as well. Thank you. So Eliza, I'm going to start with you since you've been on the podcast before. Can you give us a quick refresher as to what your role entails and what your areas of expertise are? Yeah, sure. So I'm one of our senior product managers. And the biggest products I manage are, of course, our demographic products and our cartographic products. So I have a lot of knowledge about the census data, um, also other releases from the Census Bureau that we use, as well as the geographic levels um, that the Census releases and other ones that Claritas provides data for. Awesome. And Rachel, it's your first time on the podcast, so our listeners might not be as familiar with you. So can you give us the rundown on your role in areas of expertise? Sure. Um, yeah, so I've been at Claritas for a few months now. I work in the demographic team. Our main responsibility is creating the population estimates and projections for the um, small area geographies. Uh, my background is in demography, so I also serve as a subject matter expert in some other products that need trend or other information to develop those estimates. I used to work at the Census Bureau, and I've worked at several other local government and nonprofits in the same area of demographics. So I've got the right people on the call <laughs> with me today. <laughs> All right, Eliza, back to you. If somebody listening to this podcast doesn't know much about the census other than they filled out a questionnaire in 2020, can you explain what the purpose of it is and how does that data affect society? Yeah, sure. So the census is taken every 10 years with the goal to gather population information about everyone living in the United States. Um, the counts produced are used for several purposes. One big one is the process of redistricting in which states determine their congressional district boundaries, which of course we've seen play out ahead of the upcoming midterm elections. But they're also used by several levels of government for allocating funds and other resources, and many types of organizations make use of this data in their planning, including our data users. The collection of data was completed in either August or September of 2020. So have there been any delays with what was supposed to be made available to data providers like us since then? Yes, yeah, so all releases were delayed because of the pandemic. Also, the new deferential privacy method that's being applied to the data this time has also been an important factor, especially with the demographic and housing characteristic files, or DHC, which we're still waiting for. 
The DHC is a replacement for what used to be known as summary file one or SF1 data. So it will contain a significant amount of data from the 2020 census. After the 2010 census, we already had SF1 data at this point in our process, but the Census Bureau is planning to release the DHC by May 31st, 2023. So there's still quite a wait for that data. Yeah, so that also means that we'll have a lot more updates to give <laughs> to get folks. Exactly. So Rachel, I want to bring you in on this next question because it has been a boiling hot topic in the news. Apparently there have been some undercounts and overcounts of certain racial and ethnic groups within the U.S. with regards to the 2020 census. How did this happen and what's the core issue here? Yeah, so the Census Bureau creates a survey and other measures to measure coverage, what they call measuring coverage. And that is where they assess after the census is over whether they overcounted or undercounted or correctly enumerated different groups, usually by race and ethnicity and sometimes age groups. And the census has been doing this for decades. And usually they do find that there are differences in the coverage for specific groups or ages. And this is usually just because certain groups by demographic characteristics can be harder to enumerate. Sometimes it's because certain groups are more likely to be renters than owners or certain age groups can be harder to count. There's a lot of discussion about the undercount of children in the census. And that's usually because people may not know that they're supposed to count based babies in the census. Mm -hmm. Or children might be from houses where they live with multiple generations or they live with a mom and not the dad, but both parents are counting them or neither is counting them because they thought the other parent was counting them or something like that. So there's a lot of reasons why census, even though they're trying to reach every person in the country, might not be able to get that coverage. This year, there was a lot of attention given to the coverage just because we knew that the COVID pandemic was going to impact the coverage rates of the census. And I think a lot of people were just interested to see how much disruption that really had on the resulting census counts. And I would kind of argue too that when you're self-reporting information, there's always room for error there. But do we know yet if the Census Bureau is going to do anything to rectify the issue or do they have any plans to, Mm -hmm. um, or do we have any plans to correct the data that we put out? Yeah, so the Census Bureau has already said that they're not going to make any changes to the actual decennial census counts. And part of that is they've already used those data for redistricting. So changing them at this point would really not work within that planning period. But they're definitely interested in rectifying some of the issues that we might be seeing based on those coverage results. And they've assembled a group of researchers within the Bureau to investigate if it might be possible to use the coverage estimates to adjust their yearly population estimates. So the population estimates are different from the decennial census counts, but they're still really important because we use them for a lot of things like where to build schools and how much funding different communities might get. So those Estimates are really important um, in the United States. They're also important to Claritas because we use them in our own demographic estimates. So we'll definitely be looking forward to hearing what the Census Bureau researchers come up with and how they feel like they're able to make adjustments to account for that kind of that really pretty sizable undercount in Hispanics and some other racial and ethnic minorities from the 2020 census. Mm-hmm. 
And Claritas specifically, we've corrected some of the inconsistencies in the population and household counts, mostly at the block group level. And as Eliza already mentioned, the process of differential privacy, which is that new method that the Census Bureau used to ensure that users were unable to identify individual respondents in their products, that helps make sure that you can't identify someone living in a certain block or block group based on their characteristics. But it, in order to make that harder to do, the Census Bureau has to move some things around. So it's a lot more complicated than moving things around. But um the things that they do make the data not so accurate. And sometimes it gives you values that might not make sense or be consistent at other levels of geography or other questions that you might have in the census. So we at Claritas looked at those inconsistencies and made some corrections just to make sure that the data are more reliable and usable at lower levels of geography and also that we can look at the trends over time a little bit better without those disruptions caused by differential privacy. Yeah, so Rachel, did I miss is there anything we're going to do to rectify the issue with the undercounts? Yeah, so we decided that we were going to make some adjustments to our 2023 estimates to account for that undercounting of the Hispanic and Black populations in the United States. So we were able to make some adjustments to those data so that we think that they better reflect the actual racial and ethnic composition of the United States, and we are able to bring that into their, our estimates for 2023 and uh, projections for this this vintage of updates. So you just came back from a workshop in D.C. where you presented on the DHC. So mm-hmm. first, can you explain in layman's term, what does DHC stand for? Mm-hmm. Um, I know Eliza said it a little while ago, but mm-hmm. just remind us. And then give us a little insight into the purpose of the workshop. How did we get involved with it and what some of those key takeaways were? Yeah, so as Eliza mentioned, the DHC stands for the Demographic and Housing Characteristics File. That's, as she mentioned, that's a new term for Census 2020. And the DHC files, if you think about them in kind of the suite of products that the census releases from the census, the decennial census, there's the PL94 files, which have already been released and were used for redistricting. And then there's these DHC files that have some more varied um, tables that come from it. So Um, It has a lot more information. Things like household size come from the DHC files, the relationship to householder, more detailed age groups, race, ethnicity, and sex for just a couple examples of things that you do get in the DHC that we don't get in redistricting. So the Census Bureau asked the National Academy of Sciences to hold a webinar and workshop Um, to talk about the issues that the differential privacy system that we talked about being instituted in those demographic and housing characteristics files, what is the impact that that has on the data? And more, moreover, when we go to use that data, what's it going to do to those use cases? They were really interested in knowing how people are using the data and how they could use those examples to make improvements to the to the system. So the purpose of the workshop was to provide the Census Bureau with feedback on a version of these tables, but it was using 2010 data that were created so that you could assess the impact differential privacy on the data. So while the differential privacy ensures more data protection, it also makes changes to the data that are obviously incorrect or con- inconsistent. And this causes issues for users like Claritas who rely on the decennial census data for input. So several professional organizations Claritas is involved in reached out to ask for us to present their research 
research at the workshop, and we already had an idea of something that we were interested in looking at. We were actually saving it for research and development, but because they asked for input, we we sped up that process and looked at those data, and we were able to get something put together in time to participate. So there were two days of presentations from all kinds of data users, um, places like universities, other government agencies, private companies like us. And the main takeaway was that there have been a lot of really big improvements since they started using differential privacy at the census, but there's still a lot that can be done that can ensure that the data are usable and reliable for all types of data users. So I think that the workshop provided a lot of important use cases for the Census Bureau to consider when they implement DP on the upcoming DHC files, which, as Eliza mentioned, aren't expected until May of next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a definitely a, a conversation that is um, going into all types of industries. We've had a few privacy, consumer privacy related conversations on the podcast. So uh, this is just mm-hmm. one other area where it, where it's coming in. And I, I was going to ask you a question about differential privacy, but you preemptively <laughs> responded on it. So I'll move on to something else now. And um, this is something that has come up a lot, not necessarily from us, but we've heard it from some clients, the industry, the media, and it's the Census Bureau. It's known as the providers of the gold standard, the words gold standard when it comes to demographic data. But considering some of these concerns that have come up, do we think that's still the case? Are they the gold standard? Yeah. I mean, as you said, we're we're among those people who are concerned about the impacts that we've been hearing this year. You know, the undercount is really important. We want to make sure that we're representing groups in the country um, in the right way. Differential privacy is important because of the way that it impacts our, the way we use the data. But even with these things instituted and what the Census Bureau was up against during the COVID pandemic, the decennial census and the Census Bureau data are really provide value that isn't available from any other source. So the scope of the surveys and censuses that they're able to do really can't be met by any other company or place. It's just they have such a wide scope. And Mm -hmm. data companies such as Claritas can add value to the census. And um, for 2020, this just means there's a couple more areas where we can add that value. Yeah. So can you expand upon that last point a little bit? If the census is the gold standard, why why do we and why do other data providers need to bring in additional data sources to complement the data? Yeah, so in 2010, the Census Bureau eliminated the long-form census and they started the American Community Survey, which we also sometimes just call ACS. So now the decennial census only provides basic information on population and housing units. So we have to use data like the ACS or other surveys to get socioeconomic data like income, home ownership, education, and we use other data sources outside of the Census Bureau along with those data to kind of create the trends and verify that the data that we're we're creating provide an accurate picture of, of the population in the United States. Okay. So Eliza, let me go ahead and ask you this next one, and we'll give Rachel a chance to take a sip of water. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So this is a question that is probably of most interest to our clients and our data partners, but I still think it's an important one. What data from the 2020 census do we have in hand right now, and has it been incorporated into our own solutions yet so that clients can have that benefit of utilizing it in their own analyses? Yeah, so our 2022 vintage, which is the one that's currently available, made use of the apportionment counts, which contain 2020 resident population counts for each state. 
Um, but the 2023 vintage that we're actively working on now will also make use of the data from the PL94 redistricting file. And that's very important because PL94 gives us population, household, and housing unit counts for small areas. And it also gives us some key population characteristics such as race and ethnicity, and also type of group quarters facility for anyone that's not residing in a household. So we're using this data to inform our 2023 estimates, and we're also publishing it as part of our new 2020 census category that will be available with that release. Okay. So, you know, the older you get, the more time becomes essentially subjective. But I have to ask, <laughs> why does it take so long? And I'm using air quotes here. Uh, but why does it take so long for us to get that census data and then turn it into a usable resource for our clients? Yeah. So the first thing, you know, is, of course, the collection and processing of the data by the Census Bureau itself. As Rachel was saying, they do a significant amount of work um, after data collection to avoid disclosing anyone's identity in the published count. And that's, of course, become more of a challenge with advances in technology. However, if you think about that in contrast to the beginning of census, it's you know been a big enhancement because the first collections were done on horseback and compilation had to be done manually. Right. Um, it's funny, our teammate Ken Hodges was telling us a great story the other day about how one census actually took so long to compile that it ran up against the next collection period. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have new challenges now, but technology has also been a great help to both the Census Bureau and Claritas. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of, you know, on our side, we also do a significant amount of work after receiving the census data to incorporate it into our products. Um, Rachel touched on some of the initial steps we took this time and how we also use several sources to supplement the census data. Um, one example um, that you know, I can add is we have this internal master address file that we update each year to help us identify fast growing areas so we can account for them in our estimates. One of the first steps in our overall process is to get that updated using data from multiple sources and then summarize it for our estimates. And as Rachel also mentioned, we use several other data sources to help estimate items that aren't even part of the census questionnaire. I mean, if you filled out the 2020 census for your household, you know that's not a very long survey. So things right. like the ACS are really critical for us to be able to provide estimates for other categories that our users rely on. But there's also the issue of major geographic changes that occur with each census update. For 2020, we have changes to every census level of geography from block group to county. Also blocks, you know, we do publish limited data for the blocks. So we have to do significant work to incorporate these changes into our cartographic products because those are also a key input into the demographic products. Um, and this is work that, you know, these census boundaries Normally, there's no update, so those are just copied forward each year. But when we do these census switchovers, it's a significant effort on our part. Um, and this is also a challenge because some of our data sources, including the 2010 census, needed to be converted to the new geographies. Um, and we did that using special cross-references that we built based on the Census Bureau's correspondence files and also the PL94 data. And also, as we build each of these items, we run data quality assurance or DQA tests, which are reviewed by our demographers with the help of our DQA team. 
Um, and if something doesn't look right to them, we investigate and then potentially rerun and retest until results look good to them. So, Okay. Thank you for the background. I think that will be very helpful, especially if we do have a, a few clients or um, you know partners that are listening to this podcast episode. Absolutely. Close us out on what's next for data released by the census. Yeah, so as we said, the Census Bureau is planning to have the DHC released by the end of May next year. That is the last item we personally need for our products, but that date will be tight for our 2024 vintage because it is quite late in our usual demographic update cycle. So we're going to have to do some careful planning later this year to see what makes the most sense for both our products and our overall schedule. So definitely more to come on that. Good to know. Well, Eliza and Rachel, thank you again for joining me today on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to chat. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm guessing we'll do another census podcast in the future, but in the meantime, listeners, feel free to visit the insights section on our website so you can keep up with any interim information you need to know via our blogs. That said, that is all the time that we have for today. So I do want to again thank my two guests for joining me and thank those of you listening at home or on the go. If you've not already, please take a moment to follow the Marketing Insider so you never miss an episode. Rate us five stars on your podcast app of choice, our favorite being Spotify, of course, and share us with a friend or colleague so we can keep the conversation going. And with that, we'll see you next time with a brand new episode. Bye now. Bye now.